This is Decentralized, the Decentralized Trials and Research Podcast. We gather here with friends and guests to talk about the latest ways to make research and clinical trials around the world more inclusive, more accessible, more resilient, and more sustainable, all by using decentralized methods. This podcast is recorded live on Clubhouse every Friday, 12 to 1 Eastern, on the TGIF DCT show at the Decentralized Trials Club. You can join the live sessions and add your voice every Friday at noon Eastern time with the free Clubhouse app by following the Decentralized Trials Club. And of course, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform to get notified of new episodes. Following the club and subscribing will also help you stay current for any of the bonus content we may drop. And now, it's time to decentralize. Okay, well, let's get rolling. Uh, It's 9.03 in my time zone. But for those of you who are joining for the first time, you landed in the DTRA TGIF DCT Clubhouse. That's way too many letters. And today, Amir and I are joined with some of our esteemed um, initiative leaders from the work of the DTRA. Now, just before we dive there, I want to let you know that this is a place where you talk about all things DCT. You've already heard Amir mention we're going to talk about AI and some of its um, pitfalls in a future session. I think we just set up a future topic about the adoption of DCTs in Asia-Pac for a future session. But really what I want to do is encourage you to send your suggestions for topics to the Secretariat at secretariat.dtra.org, sorry, or to me or Amir or Craig. Because really, this is a crowdsourced set of topics, and we want the topics to reflect what you're interested in. Today, we're a little self-interested, honestly, because we wanted to allow the initiative leaders to really share with us what they learned as they went through the process of gathering evidence of impact on DCT. Some of the things that were really interesting, challenging, or surprising as they went through that process. And the way that we format this is the first half hour or so, Amir and I will ask some questions to the initiative leads Then we're going to open it up to anyone in the audience to ask questions, of course, around the bottom of the hour. Amir, what have I missed? Nothing. I can can get going. Uh, But I will say it's interesting, Caroline, you have a um, very, what looks like a theater ticket or something icon. So the the clubhouse definitely keeps adding stuff we don't really understand, right? (laughs) Yes, I have no idea what that is. And last week we learned that you have sounds now as um, something you can play with, but we also noticed they're distracting. So (laughs) use them with caution. Okay, so let's get started with some introductions. Amir, is there anyone here who doesn't know who you are? I'm sure there is, but uh, the only thing I'll say is I... uh co-chair at DTRA with Craig Lipsitz and uh, have the pleasure of working with you and Paige and others there. So I think that will do for now. 
And those of you who've been here probably know I hang out here as many weeks as I can. My name's Jane Miles, and I've worked in clinical research for a long time. Now I get to work full-time with the DTRA advancing the adoption of DCTs. Naveen, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and where you work, what you do there, please? Sure. So Naveen Goche, I'm a manager based out of CS Associates. Our firm is largely focused on consulting for life sciences and healthcare companies. I'm specifically focused on decentralized clinical trials and digital health as specific areas within the organization. And as part of DTRA, I played a role to kind of overall project manage, um, guide the, the different team members to think through how do we deliver what we need to as part of the initiative. Really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm super glad you're here too. And I can tell you a lot of people are interested in your deliverables. Now, Caroline, your turn. Okay, uh, I'm Caroline Redeker. I work for Advanced Clinical, which is a mid-sized global CRO. And uh, I've been in the industry about 30 years. Uh, first part of my career in the site and SMO business and the last 20 years, uh, mostly on the CRO side of the business. And I currently uh, lead our internal initiatives around decentralized trials and have been very involved in um, the crowdsourcing evidence work stream and excited to talk about what, what we found and what we didn't find. I would say those are equally interesting topics. <laughs> so um, I'll get it started and then Amir, you can chime in with some questions too, of course, but let's just set some context first. And, and Caroline Naveen, you had a third key member of your team, Arnob, who's probably going to join us mid-session, mid but he was your co-lead. Is that correct, Caroline? Correct. Yep. Okay, cool. So tell us a little bit about the team itself. What problem was it you were trying to solve and what was your team makeup like? Who was there and what roles did they play? Sure. So um, we had a, a multi-company type participation. So there were people from pharma, uh, biotech, CROs, uh, technology providers, uh, consulting firms. And so it, it was a wide variety of companies that participated in the work stream. And we sort of divided into work streams where we had some people focused on desk research, scouring what what publications are out in the industry that show any type of proof points or any kind of evidence around decentralized trials. Uh, and so we had a team of people who were doing that. And then we also um, used some students from Boston University actually did the, a similar exercise as their assignment and did a readout of everything that they were able to find. And uh, luckily, actually, a couple of those students had worked in the clinical trial industry on other projects. And so um, it was great to get that second set of group that is really looking at what, what is out there that's already published. 
And then we had another work stream that was around surveying our, the DTRA membership um, about proof points. And since so many of the members of DTRA are the companies that were working in that area, um, we, we thought what better place to get uh, information than those who are working in this space. And then we had another work stream that was focused on um, interviews and sort of doing follow-up interviews to either some of the data we found or some things that were mentioned in the surveys that needed further clarification. And then a fourth work stream around synthesizing this data and um, presenting it in a way that everybody could see the full picture of the data we found. So it was a, a great group of people who spent a lot of time trying to make sense of, of what we could find. Nothing if you had anything. I think that's that's covered greatly all, all that we did. What I really appreciate about that description is that it sounds like you were really able to engage multi-stakeholders and even dip into what we'll call academic resources to aid you in your work. So great job. Um, Amir, how would you like to ask about the team and their findings? Um, well, the only comment I'll make is kind of, I'm assuming next time we do this, another stakeholder might be AI helping you look at the literature, right? Yeah, that would be wonderful. Uh, I think um, even since we began the work stream, uh, I personally have learned so much more about the AI options that are, are out there. Um, and so that, that was not something that we utilized um, on the initial work stream, but most definitely would be included in future. Yeah, I think the adoption is going to be pretty fast. Um, yes. So no, I think, uh, I think Garen, just keep going and tell us about your journey. I don't think we need to ask you questions. Just uh, tell us what, what happened. What did you do? Sorry, I was having a mute issue. Um, sure. So I, I think, you know, one of the things we found is that there were categories of, of this evidence. And... I think you know the first thing that was the big surprise to us was the fact that there wasn't much evidence out there or provided. And so um, I think we learned that people weren't really capturing data in this way around DCTs. So you know, our industry's used to capturing, you know, did we make enrollment timelines? Are we hitting our milestones? There, there are sort of ways of measuring and even trials that included DCT components then weren't structured to start tracking specific information about those DCT components. And so I think that was our first big learning uh, is that there's not a lot of data out there and the data that is out there um, doesn't have a whole lot of proof points associated with it. It was more about evidence that they're being used. Decentralized trials are happening and components are being used. I think how effective they are or what the challenges are, those kind of things weren't being captured. Um, certainly not in anything that's publicized. And um, even when we surveyed our membership, there wasn't any evidence that people are, were really tracking to that way. So I think that's the first opportunity for our industry is to have some sort of standards about how we track this information. 
so I'll just make a couple of quick comments on that. I mean, there's kind of uh, external data sharing, then there's kind of tracking internally. So there's no question that whether, frankly, it's academia or industry, we're not good at data sharing, right? I mean, if you look at the academic world, it took a uh, like a Herculean effort to really get them to even share genomics data, mainly because they're worried about publication and other people using their data. So it's kind of, it's nothing new about kind of being externally sort of uh, as transparent, but also within industry. I mean, I will tell you a long time ago, I chair another nonprofit uh, that's focused on CNS drug development. And over a decade ago, we did an exercise where we tried to do a Cochrane-like analysis of basic things that we do every day in methodology, okay, in my world. And we found that pretty much almost nothing has any level of Cochrane-like ability to prove itself. So most of the decisions we make are based on what we've always done it that way, right? And that, and to be fair, nobody's running double-blind trials trying to compare different methodologies, right? They, they just don't do that. So right. we just have a problem with, in general, of even knowing sort of anything about what we do and whether it works, whether it doesn't. Uh, so it's like a, it's not a DCT issue, it's definitely an industry issue. Now that's kind of the data sharing or thinking, and most people aren't thinking about doing academic papers about what they're doing in industry, that's for sure. So that's one issue. The other one is whether they're actually tracking it internally, right, which may be something you're, you're kind of hinting at. So that's the other issue. But I just want to sort of clarify that, that this is not a new problem, it's not a DCT problem. It is a huge problem with our, you know, with our industry for sure. Yeah, and and I think what what we found after digging is it's not to the point of people aren't sharing yet. It is really at the point of people weren't really tracking information. There were there were a couple of areas where people did patient surveys to get information from patients, and there were some trials that showed. Um, that when you allow patients to not have to go into the center for every visit, it did open to different types of populations. And so we were able to get a few proof points about what patient preferences might be and what it might do to populations if you start to um, allow the patients to participate in a different way. And so that was probably the most interesting of the data was around the patient experience or the the change in diversity when you allow people to not have to come to a center each time. So we had about just under 20, 20 sort of cases that showed one of those two things. Actually, that's perfect segue. Caroline, because I was thinking maybe we need to really set some context. When you were thinking about evidence of impact, how were you defining that? Was it classical ROI? Was it something different? Yes. So um, it was both. We, we tracked usage and we tried to track um, evidence of impact. And so um, most of the evidence of impact, like I say, was around this patient experience or the showing of, you know, the, the, we had one trial where it showed that the patient could choose. And when everybody went into the site, it was, you know, 
very low minority population. And as you let it be hybrid or even fully virtual, those numbers changed and quite significantly. And so we tried, we didn't want marketing claims from DCT companies or, you know, we were trying not, we were trying to really look, is there evidence that's real? And so I think there were a number of those, but not a lot of those. And all the operational type metrics that were tracked, you know, weren't there from like, if it shortened timeframes or things like that. But it did also, there was a lessons learned component. And I think, you know, it pointed out some of the challenges that will need to be addressed geographically um, from the site standpoint um, of introducing new providers into the clinical research process. You know, there were some things that came out that, that gave us, you know, some issues to tackle um, to have access to those additional patients. Carolyn, do you think part of the issue is that most studies going on right now may have started or pivoted during COVID? And at that time, everyone's just trying to just get the study to continue as opposed to think about tracking things where you might think about those things if you're kind of in the normal world where you're sort of planning a study. So if all those were kind of pivoted studies, do you think that might be some of the problems that people are kind of too busy doing that and thinking of tracking and things like that? Yeah, I think that was definitely a component. I mean, uh, just working in a CRO when COVID hit, there were, you know, across all of our studies, we had to think about how, you know, how will we, if we can't get on site, how are we monitoring the data? If patients can't get on site, how are we keeping the study going? And so I think that did take a lot of people's time. But I also think uh, we just aren't wired that way to start thinking about components of, you know, some studies have EPRO, some have home health, some have a variety of things. And so, you know, at the end of the day, I think people were still focused on, am I meeting my timelines? Am I, you know, getting the patients in the study and not, you know, how did this component make a difference? I think it was more of a reactionary, you know, oh, this is something new for me. Now I have to learn a new process to do this in the future. And so I think for sites and um, in particular, it was a lot of learning, um, new, new providers and new ways of doing things. And now we're at a point where, you know, things have calmed down and patients are going back to sites. And so we can start thinking about those things. That makes sense. Yep. So... Um, Naveen, I'm really curious because this is work that you do or a version of it in your daily life. And I'm curious to double click on Amir's comment that, and Caroline's, this isn't necessarily the way that people are wired to think about doing these analyses. So have you been through this with your regular work and how might we help people get more on board with that? Yeah, I think that's something industry is starting to recognize broadly is how do we put measures and KPIs in place to be able to track different ROI metrics. And adding to what uh, Carolyn said is we found like uh, evidence or data points around patient recruitment and how DCTs are helping with experience, how they're 
improving diversity and inclusion. There are aspects of technology facilitating and then helping augment some of what we just talked about. Uh, but really, uh, I think uh, cost and, and ROI was something which we really fell short of in terms of even getting some observations. Now, it could be a twofold problem. One, either companies aren't doing a good job of tracking these metrics, which, which I, th I don't think it's entirely true. I think what, what's happening is they are trying to, to track. So they're trying to figure out metrics and KPIs which could help them measure the impact. Uh, but also they are a bit early given these trials and the, the outcomes and impact take few years to kind of um, roll in itself and come in, right? So I think companies are starting to do that, but I think there's there needs to be a way where we allow and provide like a forum where industries can share whatever data points they can in terms of the ROI. So uh, let's go back to a question Jane asked earlier, which was how the team decided to measure impact and also you know, can we measure all the impact? There's, I would think many aspects of impact that one can think of, they're not e easily measurable. Yeah, and it, it, that's a good point because I think in the one study where the patients could choose, it was sort of easy to measure because you had three different cohorts of patients deciding how they wanted to, to participate. But I think for a lot of the components of decentralized trials, if you use an engagement platform, if you use an e-consent, like those type of things, it, you know, how you measure patient retention or how you measure, you know, certain items, unless you're comparing it to what it would have been if you didn't use it. I mean, you can sort of measure, did we meet our goal? But eventually we we have to measure it compared to when somebody uses it versus when somebody doesn't and how does that differ and that's that's going to be another challenge and even when you can measure some level of effectiveness of a component of decentralized trials you still have to measure the overall trial because at the end of the day if it it's only one piece and the study still doesn't meet its goals for whatever reason, then, you know, what is the true effectiveness of doing that? And so you have to decide the overall measurements and the individual measurements. I think that's so critically important, Caroline. So um, I, I can't help it. I have to let people know. First, there are some recommended KPIs that a different initiative team came up with as part of the DTRA initiatives. And many of them are operational things that we measure in typical trials, but now with the lens of how did that change using whatever DCT methods you put in place. And I would say that the metrics make a lot of sense and it takes a little bit of effort and even digging a little bit into the weeds to know exactly how will you measure in the two different or multiple different settings so you can understand if there's a difference in the operational impact. Because we're not trying to measure whether there was a difference in the clinical and safety outcomes in the trial, typically. 
like that that's a different set of questions than the operational impact of these measures i think and you can disagree with me on that no absolutely and i think too like if you just take you know setting up a technology platform that is going to um, open your access to patients you might be measuring you know maybe it took you a little longer to get started started up and so you would say well that's that's not better but if it gives you access to more types of patients and it helps you meet your diversity plan and those kind of things then at the end of the day it it, it is worth it and so you know you have to look at maybe if you're just measuring the one component from a timeline standpoint it looks like it takes you longer to start up but you might close time at the back end meeting your goals of what you're trying to do and so how do you tie those things together uh, absolutely and not necessarily about dcts but in a previous life i did a lot of work on patient recruitment and people always wanted to know well what's the roi of using tactic x versus y and i I was pretty clear, like you can't typically measure those differences because they are typically operating together. So it also makes me wonder if maybe we just start with macro level differences as opposed to, and I'm making this up, what was the impact of using ECOA versus mobile nursing in the patients? All right, Amir. What more would you like to ask before we open the room up to questions from the audience? Well, I guess, um, Caroline, you already sort of brought it up, which is impact can be positive or negative. So was there anything that you saw that showed that there were downsides to it? Well, I, I think what it just pointed out um, when we looked through the survey data and just all the dialogue that happened around it um, when we did the interviews and and just, I guess, in general, some of the things that we're hearing at even recent conventions is it just pointed out that if you're going to change the way that sites operate a bit, there was a lot of new learnings to be had. And so there's some training needs and some new processes that need to be put in place. And, you know, some regular, some of the physicians talked about well, when a home health company comes in and I'm on the 1572, you know, do I know their SOPs and do I know, do I interview the people who are going into the home of the patient that I recruited? And, and so it, it sort of brought up some, some needs for making sure everybody is trained and understands how to work differently and what that means and who's responsible for what. And so um, even though that's not impact of evidence as the work stream was doing, I would say it was definitely a learning that came out of searching for this evidence of impact. So uh, we're almost to the top, uh, bottom of the hour. So before we kind of open it up, I just want to ask Naveen and Caroline, was there anything else that surprised you or that you, you know, weren't expecting as you did your work? I, I definitely think the lack of evidence surprised us. I think, you know, the biggest sort of points that came out for me were the geographic challenges in, in some ways when you go outside of the U.S., especially um, the regulatory confusion um, per se. And 
just sort of that there are no operational type metrics or no standard forum to collect any information. So, you know, to the extent we can develop something that people can adopt, I think it, it might be very helpful. So there are some questions happening in the chat too, um, particularly around the adoption of different methodologies and if that's changing. And Jeff, I've invited you to join us on stage if you want to phrase the question yourself. But I think people are curious if things have changed with any specific methodologies and how frequently they're used more or less as we're going through this post-pandemic phase. So for example, are we seeing more or less home health adoption or do we have that evidence yet? So are you, are you asking us or are you asking Jeff to phrase the question? Sorry. Well, that was, that was the essence of Jeff's question. So now I'm asking okay. you if you have any data. Yeah. So we don't have data on more or less because it was the first time that we sort of did this data point. So, but I can tell you, um, we work a lot in oncology and rare disease. And so um, there is definitely, there are home health <laughs> visit, um, they're happening. And I, you know, at least in those therapeutic areas that, that we're working in and, you know, sometimes the sites have their own staff and sometimes there's a central team doing it. And so I think, you know, we're seeing just trying to figure out when that's the case, sort of how, how that gets integrated. But I, from my perspective, we're definitely still seeing it happening um, where there are home health or even home shipment of wear, wearables or sensors, you know, a, a blood pressure cuff or a scale or things that the patient does that automatically transmits into a technology. Perfect. I don't know if you see anything differently. And I think just to be clear, obviously this team's um, remit was evidence of impact. You weren't really looking at kind of what Jeff's really asking about. Yeah. We're happy to expand the conversation there, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I apologize for taking it off track a little bit there, but I, I was curious about that. So maybe if we do have some data on that, I, again, like I said in the chat, I read some conflicting uh, data, honestly, about uh, some various components and their use and their uptake. Yeah. And by the way, I'm Jeff, I'm Jeff Zucker, Senior Vice President of uh, Trial Optimization and DCT uh, at Worldwide Clinical Trials. But yeah, it, it's it's interesting when you when you read uh, the data out there and some of the research, it, it it conflicts a little bit. So first of all, Jeff, thank you for bringing that topic on. It's absolutely fine to sidetrack uh, to something. Um, what I would say is, uh, first of all, where are you even seeing that kind of data? Tell us. So I see these articles come out. I get emailed these articles. Uh, that are on very brief and say, you know, what, what's upcoming uh, and what does 2023 look like? So it's very soft data. When I say data, I'm using air quotes here. Uh, but people sort of reporting and uh, saying, hey, this is what we're going to look like and this is what the, the uptake is right now. Um, but it, I, again, it, I, I, to your point, Amir, I don't think I've seen any hard data to say, all right, this is really what's happening. And we alluded to that before about you know measuring the the benefits of using these 
And I think we're we're in a space where we could also take a look at, at the uptake of it. And I, I think there's a correlation there. Uh, if we are able to see the benefits, uh, it may increase the uptake. So I'll just make a couple of comments and ask Naveen a question as someone who works for a consulting company. Um, look, the way I look at it is during the pandemic, just as we sort of lurch towards, you know, decentralized and hybrid because we had to, right? Um, was, people think we're out of COVID, we're not, but let's say we think we are out of COVID. So people, there's definitely no question human nature is to revert to the mean. So, the, you know, people would much rather be doing what they used to do. So that's for sure. And I think Caroline brings up the point that certain areas like rare diseases, uh, you know, it's really helpful to have those. In other areas, maybe people think they can, you know, to go back to being more traditional. So it doesn't really surprise me there'll be an ebb and flow in a sort of a short-term basis. But Naveen, as a, can you comment on whether you know whether consulting companies or others are trying to even track the kind of thing that Jeff's asking about? I think there are. So a couple of uh, conversations and where I'm involved, I'm seeing this this sort of a direction where companies are going. With respect to home health, I just wanted to make one point, Jeff, is I think it's a very um, subject to the patient mix and geography, depending on the trends we found, is like the home health could be preferred or not. But generally, the trend, what we saw as we were going through our evidence is Europe seems to be more pro uh, a combination model where like Europe doesn't want to just go to a sightless model. Um, and they, they were continuing to prefer to uh, be at the site and, and uh, not completely go on that, on that uh, sightless model. The other trends we also saw were around um, like China and, and I think Taiwan and South Korea where they're starting to have some regulations uh, guiding how they could adopt some of these DCT components, including home health. So there was starting to like uh, be like an uptake or a trend around how some of these more digital slash non-site related channels could be used to engage with patients. That's so interesting because there is another initiative team working on the global regulatory landscape and specifically what you can and can't use and what's easy and hard to implement. And, and just finding the regulatory guidances has been a bit challenging. So thank you for that information, Naveen. I may follow up with you offline. So, so Jeff, I'm not sure we answered your question directly, but I'm glad you brought it up. And I will say I've seen some data from some we'll call it um, data intelligence companies around the different adoption metrics of how often these things are used and which methods are used in which therapeutic areas. And I think it's an interesting directional data set, but I, I often wonder if it's complete, accurate, representative, so I'm curious if anyone in the audience has any experience with trying to collect and collate that data and what the challenges are 
to the question that Jeff asked, like, are we seeing adoption? And if so, which methods and where? So that's an open invitation. So maybe while we wait for um, somebody to enter into the chat, I'll, I'll just comment that we are definitely seeing, we have customers asking us quite frequently what they should be doing for DCTs and um, also to help them with their diversity planning. And I, I, so I do see that as a trend, you know, we didn't used to have people asking us those questions and we do quite frequently now. And so I, I think it is a trend that people are interested in how they plan and if these things will help them meet a more diverse population that represents the patient population with the disease. Yeah, if I could, I, we definitely get uh, customers that come in and, and request. Sometimes it'll say, hey, we want to do a virtual site with uh, 25 sites in the U.S., which are you're contradicting yourself here. Uh, but they'll say we want to do uh, some DCT components and we'll make recommendations. I, I fear that one of the the motivations for them to ask is, is to save money. Uh, and that's one of the hurdles that we have to get over. Uh, that we're still trying to get over right now is make an understanding that this may not necessarily be cheaper upfront. It's going to save you time and quality at the end of the day, uh, but it's going to maybe cost even or, or maybe even a little bit more. So I think that's one hurdle. And I apologize, we're really getting off, off topic here. But yeah, it, again, I think there is a correlation if we can really get that data onto well, how do these different components benefit what are some of the results? And we're, we're still early on here. So we're finding out more information as we go, and that's great. Uh, but I think once we capture some of that data, we have to have a method to capture that data to be able to show it to get the ROI. So quick question to Caroline and Jeff, and then we'll invite you, Pinder and Nelson to chime in. When are your clients asking you those questions? Is it when they're designing the protocols or when they're ready to start them or somewhere in between? Yeah, I mean, for us, it's uh, when an RFP comes in sometimes and some and many times uh, with worldwide, we're developing the protocol with them uh, and we're recommending things like that too. But many times they come in and request either home nursing or they request what's your DCT solution or recommendation. Yeah, and I would say, um, I've had people call me sort of just in general, like, hey, there's a bunch of people at our company who think we should be jumping on board. What should we be doing? You know, more general questions I've had. And then sometimes um, right before an RFP is going to come in, they'll, they'll want to have a call about DCTs and learn about it and understand what they should be thinking about. Ideally, we try to tell them before the protocol that we start having this dialogue. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of discussion around, are you specifying visits where patients have choices or you're specifying visits where they have to be a telemed visit or are you leaving things up to the patient? And that, that seems to be a big topic of conversation that could be included in the, you know, in the protocol. I think we might have another session on protocol design with the end in mind and optionality, but we'll save that for another day. Upinder, please join us and tell us who you are, where you're from, and chime in with any questions you have. Um, sure, yes, my name is Upinder Gruel. I work for uh, Bayer. 
pharmaceuticals and um i really didn't have a question um i've been following but i was invited to the stage so um i think uh amir maybe you, you wanted me to sort of get my opinion on something or, or what, what, what you you're in europe and uh, you know working with mayor Tuss, what you've seen in terms of um the chef's question kind of adoption continued adoption whether it's what your opinions are about what you're if you're tracking impact of dcts anything okay. any of the topics we talked about yeah okay so um i think so the one topic which i'll probably say is uh why is there a lack of evidence um i'd say i'm not too surprised because there's multiple facets i mean yes there was the COVID impact but the other thing i'd say is that what i'm seeing and hearing is there's still a lot of companies doing pilots they're trying to pilot solutions uh, either vendors or trying to see how this works so um with that they're not too focused on let's collect data this and see how does it work so it's just a case of you know tentative you know what's the adoption really going to be like with the patients and uh, they're kind of inputting on studies which may have like a full traditional arm and and they just want to see how it works so uh, with that i'm not too surprised there's not a lot of data but i think that will come um and then i think to 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 jeff's question in terms of components it's an interesting one because um some of the components I'll take eco and econ centers as an example, right? Because those were individual solutions before. But now when you look at it from, when you want to roll out a DCT solution, they may get covered under what's known as a DCT platform. So a platform could be, well, they're offering e-consent, telemedicine, ECOA, e e e all in one type of thing. So they're not tracking the individual component, you're just calling it a DCT platform now. So whereas before you turn around and say, well, how many was the eco adoption? That's going to be, that's a little bit watered and muddied now. So it's it's all being bundled under like a DCT platform. So um, so I think from there is a bit of a challenge. So you can't really tell what the individual technology component adoptions are. Home health, I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. It's, it's there. Um, we'll have to keep an eye on the adoption of wearables and how the adoption of wearables can have an impact on home health. Um, wearables are kind of growing. The only thing with wearables is, again, it goes back to, you know, putting that into the protocol and goes into defining the digital endpoints, which I think as an industry, we're still in the infancy on. I mean, I know the Dime catalog is growing, but a lot of the catalog, if you have a look at it, is, is kind of repetitive stuff. It's like in diabetes management, which we know quite a lot about. It's in cardiovascular, but there's, you know, like, 10 different endpoints all measuring the kind of same thing or different variation of it so again I, I think some of those stuff we're gonna have to see but as as time progresses um the technologies you know unfortunately getting um you know uh, uh it's it's getting a little bit hard to keep on top of now i mean you know you started the the top of the conversation about all the ai aspects and all the stuff going on you know people are now starting to explore you know large language models and seeing what can be done there so it's um it's interesting times i think there will be definitely more evidence coming out i'm starting to see some hard evidence coming out from certain things um not necessarily dct alone but dct with something else and um and i think uh, there's been a few 
really interesting publications come out, which um, have been eye-opening and I'm waiting for a few more, then we can turn around and say, yes, this is kind of true evidence there. I mean, it's just one or two publications where you think, okay, well, you know, they could be there and I'll probably cite um, uh, Actigraph did one with Belleron uh, Pharmaceuticals where they did a wearable device and they they had one where the traditional endpoints didn't have enough statistical power, but the uh, digital endpoints using the Actigraph uh, was actually approved by the FDA. So they went forward with the phase three with the digital endpoints rather than the traditional endpoints and they're able to go forward with 50% less patients as well. So that was a really, really interesting one. But I think, okay, well, that's good evidence, but that's just one case study and there's not enough right there now, right now. Rupinder, the one thing I would add to your comments about DCT platforms and how that can muddy the waters on which elements are used, I'll offer a, a differing point of view in that in some ways, when you're using those platforms, it's actually easier to track who used what because it's in a single data set. So operationally, doing the measurement might get easier when you're using the platform. I'm not saying that it'll make it easier to quantify the outcome, but you know who did what. So that's kind of cool, actually. Um, Nelson. Please uh, chime in with any comments, questions, anything you have to add here. Hey, everybody. Um, thanks for having me up. I'm Nelson Rutrick. I own a couple sites in the Northeast United States. Um, I have been really interested in this question of what evidence there is of um, sort of any claims companies make, and, and DCTs included, and it's very difficult to find anything objective um, other than data you've created yourself in some way and you think is good enough to rely upon. Um, the only source I use, um, and it, it's limited to, to things on uh, payment, is um, I've taken a closer look at, at the data um, pharma has to report through the Affordable Care Act Sunshine provisions. So Sunshine Act requires companies to disclose whenever they pay a doctor for research. Um, and they report these payments to PIs and the data is accessible and updated once a year. And they're reporting those payments to DCT vendors as well. Uh, so there's some um, ability to look through at similar indications um, or, or identical trials in some cases where a company will run a virtual trial and a brick and mortar study and take a look at what they were spending. And then you can, you can reference, cross-reference it with clinicaltrials.gov to see you know, what sample size are we talking about? How long did the study take? So there's, that information is objective and obtainable just that there's not many studies that are um, that have good comparators to them. So it's I know of only one where a company ran a virtual trial and a brick and mortar trial side by side, um, and there's there's just so little to rely upon. But I figure as more things like that happen, we'll be able to look at it and see you know how many subjects per site per month were recruited in each study. 
um, and how much did it cost? So what I'm hearing is we're at the front end of the adoption curve in terms of not the use of these methods, but rather the measurement of their impact. And yet we all want those measures desperately. I also want to chime in and just say, although I'm not part of it, I believe that the IMI trial, which is actually a direct comparison of traditional versus hybridized and remote processes in the same protocol setting has just begun or recently begun. So I know we're waiting for that information too, to your point, Nelson. Um, <clears throat> I'm just taking a look at the chat here to see if there are other questions that are coming up. Oh, so there's a comment here that maybe we're actually over-focused on collecting data for metrics in DCT settings relative to traditional trials. And I'm curious if you think that we're setting a bar for impact that's higher in a DCT setting than in a traditional setting. So I'll ask any of our panelists to comment on that. Yeah, I think I think that we need to decide as as an industry what what is the value, right? And so most of the things I've been involved in, the value is to increase access to patients to clinical trials, right? And so it it gives more people who may have not participated an opportunity to participate if they can do it without having to go into a site every visit, right? That, that you're gonna increase your patient population. So I do think it will be important to track, you know, is that the case? Because that seems to be the big promise of why, why we would want to do this. And so I, I think that's an important metric. The, the ROI and the operational, I think will probably be ever changing based on, you know, once people finally put in processes and infrastructure to support these, we're sort of catching up on that still, you know, um, giving project managers the tools to understand what sites are going to be dealing with differently than they were before, what project managers are going to be dealing with differently than they were before. And so we're starting to see though that all get put into place. But, you know, as we're stumbling through the beginning, the metrics may not be great, but if we capture them, we can see once the infrastructure comes, you know, does it cost more? Are we just learning? And it's not gonna cost more in the future. You know, those types of things I think are important to look at. Not so much individual metrics, you know, that aren't meaningful. Can, can, can I possibly add? I mean, I, I would agree with Carolyn here. It's, um, you know, as an industry, we, we we get we get you know paralysis by analysis is 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 the terminology. You know, we spend so much time doing all this analyzing of data, and and I think some of the, you know if we try to do sort of you know comparison of you know traditional trial versus DCT and go through all the things like you know what's the screen failure rates, what's the dropout rates, it's going to be so much things that we should. Take a step back and just ask the question, you know, why are we doing DCT in the first place? Focus on those key metrics and saying is 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 it delivering and 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 you know, so to do the comparison against the traditional trial, I I, I think we'll we'll 
we'll spend a long time doing that and i think some of the metrics probably won't be as great so i think we should just take a step back and go a bit more high level and say right what you know why we're we doing this to you and, and and is it actually kind of delivering and i think um they'll i think we'll come up with the first phase of metrics and then i think as we evolve and start going into some of the other things um we'll, we'll see like the next wave of metrics coming along and uh, that's probably where we'll start seeing you know greater value in our trials Yeah, yesterday I was in a similar conversation, different group of people, and the question got raised, we didn't have an answer. Did anyone ever do the analysis of what was expected to be the financial benefit of um, electronic data capture, EDC, and whether or not it met that promise? Well, it's a moot point now, <laughs> but it took a while for us to adopt it at scale. So. Go ahead, Amir. Please. I think that was me right asking that question. That's right. It was you. And sometimes I think we do tie ourselves up in knots looking for the proof point when actually things are just moving on. Yeah. And well, and I think so. I think there's the technology component, but but if the promise at the end of the day is that we're going to give more people the opportunity to participate or we'll get more people to participate in clinical trials then that can be the focus. I think the other part is we've seen, at least in the US with the FDA, um, you know, the strong recommendation may be a requirement at some point to really represent the patient population and get a diverse group of patients. And so I think that's the other big promise. And for me, the, the thing that got me most excited about the very little bit of data that I did see was that it showed that if you offer virtual options or home health options, that you will get people to participate um, in a more diverse population. So directional evidence that the promise of DCT may be there. Yeah. Um, okay, so in the last few minutes, Naveen and Carolyn, do you have a call to action or a next step that you really want the whole industry to take up with what you found and where you want to go next? Naveen, you want to go first? Uh, sure. I was just trying to fix my mute. Yeah, I think uh, one of the big call to actions as we wrapped up the initiative was how companies could think about putting processes and measures in place to better measure impact and how DTRA as a community and a platform could help capture and standardize the way evidence is captured to, uh, to be able to measure the impact as we continue to sort of adopt and, and uh, measure success here. So um, from the evidence of impact side, I would just say to the extent that people can measure the promise, right? Did you get a more diverse population? Did, was retention improved? Is, you know, are we recruiting any faster having access to that population? If we can start to measure some of those things, I think it would be helpful. 
I mean, I have a million call to actions that I could put out there from a, you know, let's make sure everybody understands how this is different. It's not necessarily going to cost less to do these because we're, we're implementing a whole new way of doing things. So, you know, consider what it takes a site differently. You know, site budgeting hasn't changed in 30 years since I started my first job doing site budgeting. And so, you know, how does, how does what is required of the site change and really understanding integrating all those multiple players together. Got it. So let's create some um, common terms and ways to capture the information, then potentially create a way to make it visible. I don't know who owns that yet, but what I'm hearing is we do need a way to quantify what's getting used and is it meeting the promise of DCTs? Yeah. Okay, so two minutes. I'll just take a minute for PSAs. And first, thank you so much to Carolyn, Naveen, Jeff, Nelson, and of course, Amir for being with us today. Uh, next week, we will return to our regularly scheduled host and the topic is in his mind, but I'm not clear what it is. I know that Craig knows what it is, but join us here and you'll see us posting that out on social media probably around Wednesday next week. Another opportunity, different, not a clubhouse opportunity, but if you're interested on Monday, DTRA is hosting a public listening session with the NIH on an RFI that the NIH has put together around how DCTs might help in clinical research in large institutional settings and really advance the concept of translational research. So that's on Monday at, I believe it's 11 a.m. Eastern time and it's open for people to join. Amir, what have I missed? You haven't missed anything as usual, but what I would say is I think the thing to take away, I think, is as we think about evidence of impacts and ROI, we really need to broaden how we define those things and really not think about everything as being financial. Completely agree. There's a societal part of this too. Like what do people want and how has society moved on? So. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Appreciate everyone who joined and contributed. Please join us again next week. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye.